Alright, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll be looking today at uh, verses 27 through 34, and we are finishing out, this will be the last sermon in a little series that we preached in Matthew on the miracles of Jesus. We have been studying the miracles, I think there's eight or nine miracles, possibly even ten, that we've been looking at as we've worked our way through the, the gospel of Matthew, and we have, if you've been with us along this little journey through Matthew, and especially verse, the chapters uh, eight and nine, We've seen a dazzling, and I like that word dazzling. I looked that up in the thesaurus this week. It's a dazzling display of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen it repeatedly, over and over, one, one miracle after the other, each one getting better and better and better. And we uh, ended it last week with the, the, the pinnacle of miracles, which was the raising of the dead. And so we've seen these things, and now after we close, and that's what this is, it's a closing part of this, the miracles of Jesus here, we're going to ask a, a question. And uh, Matthew will ask that. Jesus is asking that of the people of the time. And it is a final, important, pivotal question. And the question is, do you believe these things or not? That's a question that Jesus is, is going to pose to them here today and to you here today. Do you believe it or not? And that's the title of the sermon today. Not, not in the miracles. I'm not asking you if you believe in miracles or not. I'm asking you if you believe in the miracle worker. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the, that's the title of the sermon today. Believe it. Or not. There's only two choices. You can't be in the middle. There's no standing and, and straddling the fence. You believe it or not. So let's ask that question today. Let's stand. I'm going to read to you again verses 27 through 34 as we ask the question. And it, it is the most pivotal question that's ever been asked. Do you believe in Jesus or not? And we're going to see here two responses. I like that. You just make it simple today. There's two responses in this passage. One response believes it, and guess what the other one is? They don't. Only two responses. Look with me in verse 27. It says, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. And as they went out, behold, you see that word again, we've seen that over and over, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. There is, in those verses, the believing response. Now look with me at that last verse, verse 34. Here is the unbelieving response. But the Pharisees said, He, being Jesus, casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. That's an unbelieving response. There's only two, believe it or not. So let's pray together, and then I'll pose that question to each one of you. Do you believe in Jesus or not? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage, for this pivotal, important question that should go not just to the ears of the hearers here today, but to the very hearts. Because your word says in, in Romans 10 that we believe in our hearts. So God, this question should pierce our hearts today as we examine ourselves and say, do I believe in Jesus or not? Please, God, teach us from your word today. Convict us through your word today. Please bring saving faith through your word today. 
And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Mankind has the ability to do some unbelievable things. I think you know that. That we have, God has given us the ability in our minds, in our physical bodies, to do some very amazing things. And if, and if you Google that, and I, I spent a long time on Google this week, because I typed in the amazing feats of mankind. I wanted to find just a couple of things that I could throw out there to you about how amazing it is, some of the things that we can do, some of the amazing things that our minds can do. We have an amazing mind that God has given us. And then you, you look at the body, what we are physically able to do. And our bodies can, can push the limits and go very, very far. God has given us an amazing mind and, a, and an amazing body. And I'm going to give, just give you a, a few examples of this, just, just to kind of open us up here today. I, I looked up some world records of what mankind is able to do. The first one, and these, these are just the ones that stood out to me. There's so, much, so many more of these. Man, there's a record of a man who ran 50 marathons in 50 straight days in 50 different cities. That's 26 miles, 50 days in a row. And when he got done, he said, almost like Forrest Gump, I'm just going to run home. So he ran from New York City to San Francisco. Our bodies can do some amazing things. I'll give you another one. The, the, the farthest free dive in the history of the world, 831 feet. That's an amazing feat. The longest time of holding your breath, get this, 24 minutes. It's a long time to hold your breath. And then my favorite one, the most pounds ever lifted, Guinness Book of World Records record says, it's the greatest weight ever raised by a human being was 6,270 pounds. Our bodies, our minds are capable of doing some amazing things. They are. We, we can't, I can't do none of those things. I can barely run on Black Friday, let alone 50 marathons in 50 days. I mean, I, we can't do these things. I can't hold my breath very long at all. I can't lift anywhere near 6,000 pounds. I, I, I can't free dive farther than 8 feet, let alone 831 feet. But our bodies are capable of doing some amazing things. But here's what our bodies can't do, what we can't do. We, we can do amazing things, but we can only go so far. Think about this with me. This guy could lift 6,270 pounds, but he couldn't lift 6,271 pounds. This guy could hold his breath for 24 minutes. Well, I guarantee you one more minute and he'd been dead. This guy could free dive 831 feet. 832 feet wasn't happening. Our bodies, our minds are capable of doing some amazing things, but we have limitations. We can only go so far. There's a, there's a point where we can't do any more. We can't do the impossible. We can't do the miraculous. But guess who can? The Lord Jesus Christ. He can do what no man has ever been able to do. And that's exactly what it says here in, in, in verse 33, if you want to look down at it, that what He did in these miracles, ten of them, it had never been seen in the history of the world ever before. There would have been some amazing feats in Israel. Some amazing feats in that time. And from that time until now, there's been amazing things. But these things that we have studied, there has never been anything that amazing ever done in the history of the world. Jesus stands out as the amazing miracle worker. He stands out above all mankind. He has, get this, no limitations. That's the power that we've been seeing here. As Matthew has put, I mean, just perfectly placed these miracles. 
10, one after the other after the other in rapid succession. And he wasn't doing it accidentally. He wasn't doing it haphazardly. They were done in the order that he wanted them done, the way that God laid them out. It was on purpose. Why? Why are these miracles here like this? First of all, to show us, again, the power, the supernatural power of Jesus. That He has authority. And I'm just going to go down this list because it's the, the last sermon in this little series that we're going to preach. Jesus has power. Absolute authority. Unlimited power over... Look what we went over so far. If you want to make a list, we'll check these things off. Disease? Yes. Disaster? He calms the storms? Yes. Depravity? Our sin? He is able to? The only one able to forgive sin? Check. He has that power. Over demons and Satan himself? Check. He has that power. Over death? Check. We saw that last week. He has power over that. If he has power over all of these things, what doesn't he have power over? I'll give you even more. Today we're going to look at He has power over darkness. Today He has power over dumbness. Today He has power over all disabilities. Check, check, check. Jesus has unlimited power and sovereign authority over all things. But it's not just to show us His power. By showing us His power, He's showing us who He is. That no man could do these things. No normal man could do these things. Every miracle that He displays, He is showing His credentials to us. I raise the dead, I'm God. Just flashing His credentials to us. Heal disease, I'm God. Cast out demons, I'm God. Forgive sins, I'm God. Calm a storm, I'm God. Overpower death, I'm God. Darkness, dumbness, disability, I'm God. Every one of these things is, is pointing us that a normal man cannot do these things. It's beyond human capacity. This man, Jesus Christ, is the Son of the living God. That's what all these miracles are showing us here. A sign from heaven pointing down at Jesus saying, ding, 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 this man is God. It is so clear that this man is God that two blind men could see it. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's so clear, and you guys, I don't know if you're there yet, you'll get there. It's so clear that two blind men who didn't see any of these miracles understood who he was and believed it. So the question for you today is, do you believe that he's God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. Because these miracles are undeniable, irrefutable evidence of who He is. And that's the whole reason they were put there. Not to make us do wow, but to make us bow. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you guys got it. That was really, really, really clever. <laughs> not to make us, these miracles were not made to make us go wow. They were put here to make us bow before Jesus as God. So let's look at these things. And I want to ask you today, do you believe or not? Do you believe Jesus is God or not? And everybody in this room is in, two, in, in one of those two categories. You either believe or you don't. Every human in history and everybody in the world today is placed in those two categories. You either believe in Christ or you don't. He is the dividing line of all humanity. You believe or you don't. And here in this passage, we're going to see one that, the two that believe and a whole crowd of people that believe not. So let's look at it. I want to show you point number one. As we just, I'm just going to give you two points. 
today, and, and, and we'll, you guys know two points will get us out of here no earlier at all. Uh, so we're going to look at, at, believe it or not, point number one, and, and it's going to go, it's, it takes up most of the passage. Because I'm going to show you here uh, the belief of the blind men. The belief of the blind men. And here in verses 27 through 33, you're going to see the believing response. And it'll show you what true belief looks like. And you can look at your life compared to these blind men and say, does my faith match their faith? So let's, let's look at this together. The belief of the blind man. The blind men. There's two of them here that show up. And I want to start with the first sub-point. Because I have, I think, five sub-points here. The first one is, I want to show you the condition of saving faith. Look, look with me at this passage. It says in verse 27, And when Jesus departed thence, so he has left Jairus' house, the one where he raised the dead last week. He's walked out of that house. He's raised Jairus' daughter from death. They're all celebrating and having a great time. Jesus leaves the house, and he's now heading back to Peter's house, which is where he stays. He's in Capernaum. That's where, he, that's where he, he spends most of his time. That's where he spends the night. They've made a room there for him. So he's going back to Peter's house. He's heading back to where he stays. And there's still crowds that are surrounding him everywhere. It's getting worse and worse. Every time he does a miracle, there's more people that jumps on the bandwagon of following Jesus Christ. You can see it in 8, 1, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, there was multitudes. Chapter 8, 16, there's many more, it says. In verse 18, it says great multitudes. You see how it goes? Multitudes. There's many more. There's great multitudes. In 9-8, they pick up Matthew. And they're just, it's just a bandwagon of people that just keep following Jesus as he goes from house to house. And here comes, out of that crowd, two blind men following him. And I can imagine as they follow, we know what blindness is. I don't have to describe that to you. You can't see. I mean, that's easy. So how are they following Jesus? They're sitting there saying, point me in his direction. Where is he? They're, I need to hear his voice. Somebody take my hand and, and lead me to Jesus. I must get to Jesus. Blind men need help getting to Jesus. So they're following Jesus and they're blind. It says there they're, they're blind. Two blind men. Blindness was very common at that time. I'll give you a couple of reasons why. You were either born with it or you developed it. People that were born blind were born blind because of uh, the, uh, just an overwhelming amount of STDs at that time. So when they, they were born, they would, be, they would come out with infection in their eyes, born blind. They, they couldn't do anything about it then, so the babies were often, commonly, born blind. And then you would develop it at some point because of the sand that would get in their eyes or the sun that was so bright or just the unsanitary conditions of that time. So a lot of people were either born blind or they developed blindness because of where they lived. So there was a massive amount of blind people everywhere. And they stayed together in little groups. They were blind that were leading the, the blind. So this is a very common thing. And their, their case here, their, their cause, was hopeless. You look through the Old Testament and there's not one instance of any blind man ever being cured. They're hopeless. They're helpless. They're, they're desperate. There's nothing anybody could do to help them. Man can do a lot of things, but man cannot cure blindness. It's impossible. So we see here who's following. It says that where two blind men followed him. Who's in this crowd of followers of Jesus? 
I love this. This is the sidebar to the sermon today. But I want you to see that those people that are always in this passage that are following Jesus are those who are helpless, those who are hopeless, those who are needy and sinful and sorrowful and hurting and sick. It's always the desperate that are following Jesus. That's a good point for us today. You'll never come to Christ until you get desperate enough to come to Christ. People must be desperate before they go running and crying out for Jesus Christ. When I came to Christ, it was desperation. If he doesn't forgive me, I won't be saved. I must have Jesus. Get me to Jesus. Show me where Jesus is. Desperation. And these men hadn't seen one of Jesus' miracles. Not one. They hadn't seen with their eyes one miracle. So what's next? That's their condition. They're blind. Now they're cry. It says that they, they followed him crying. <laughs> they're, they're crying out. Jesus is walking and they're following. And they have people that are helping them get to Jesus. And they're crying from, from behind. They have enough faith to follow and enough faith to cry out. This is how we all get there. You must be in a desperate condition before your mouth will cry out to the Savior. This is what faith looks like. You know your condition. It's desperate. It's helpless. It's hopeless. I'll never be saved unless I cry out to the one who can save me. So they cry out. The word cry means they yelled. <laughs> they screamed. They shrieked. I looked it up in Mark. The, the word cry is used for a woman giving birth. That's what's coming. You ever been in the room when somebody's giving birth? It's a shriek. It is. <laughs> They're shrieking out. They're crying out to Jesus. And they're saying, and I've got to spend a little bit of time with what they're saying. Thou son of David. That's a big deal there. That term there is very specific. It's very important. This is a title given to Jesus. Uh, it would be called a messianic title that would be given to the Messiah that would come. This is a royal title. It means that Jesus is, when they say the son of David, they're saying that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of his father, David. David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, probably the greatest king in the history of the world, and they're crying out, Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, the one who rightly uh, owns the throne. The one who belongs on the throne. They're saying Jesus is the long-awaited, promised king. Get this. These guys are blind, but they can see who Jesus is. They can see what nobody else has said in nine chapters of Matthew. They can see what is only said of Jesus three times in the whole book of Matthew. One time here by two blind men. One time by a Gentile woman, and one more time by two more blind men in Jericho. The title that Jesus rightly owns the throne of David. And it's a very provocative title too. You know why? Because Caesar sits on the throne as king. And if Caesar hears this, he sees rival to the throne. This title is, is what will get Jesus killed in the end. When he comes in on the triumphant entry, you know what they, they start crying out to him? Hosanna, son of David. And Jesus will be killed a week later. This is a very provocative title that they call him. 
This, is, this shows, I want you to see this, I know that, 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 that name is kind of complicated maybe, that he is the king, the rightful heir to the throne, but understand this, they see what nobody else sees. These guys are as blind as a bat, they can't see their hand in front of their face, but they understand enough to know who Jesus is. Now we'll look what they say next. They're crying, saying, thou son of David. This is probably my favorite part, they say, have mercy on us. They're asking for mercy. They're pleading for mercy. They aren't asking, what can I do to be saved? They're not asking, I deserve. We live in a culture today where everybody wants what they deserve. I deserve this and I deserve that. and That's not fair and this isn't fair. They know that by fairness, they deserve to be judged and sent to hell. They know who they are. They know that, they, that, that every breath that they spend that's not in hell is mercy from God. They're begging him, show us mercy. Do you know who asks for mercy? Beggars and criminals. But that must be the cry of our faith. That we cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, and we say, all we desire of you is mercy. I'm a criminal. I'm guilty. I deserve nothing but hell. Please show me mercy. I'm a beggar. I have nothing to offer you. These blind men had nothing to offer Jesus, but they begged for what they don't deserve. True faith always comes empty-handed. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I have nothing to offer. I beg for mercy. And what's great is they come to the most merciful man who ever lived. Ephesians 2 says he is rich in mercy. That's a great term. Our God is rich in handing out mercy. These beggars are saying, please give mercy. And they're coming to a man who hands it out over and over and over. He's rich in mercy. It's by his mercies that we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Titus 3.5 says that it's by his mercies that we are saved. If you're here today and you're saved, it's not because of who you are or what you did or what you had to offer or how good looking you are. It's only because of the mercy of God that we're saved. You come to Him begging for mercy. I'm desperate for mercy. Look what happens next. They beg for mercy. That's their cry. I was going down this list. Their condition was blind. Their cry was for mercy. Their confession was Jesus is Lord. Look what it says. I'm just following down through here. It is a picture of true saving faith. Of what real belief looks like. Their condition was blind. Their cry was for mercy. Their confession was Jesus is Lord. Just, just look at it. And when he was come to the house. <laughs> Jesus had ignored them. From the walk. At, from Jairus' house. The walk all the way to Peter's house. Who knows how far that was. It could have been a mile. It could have been two. And the whole time they're walking, these blind men are saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And Jesus just keeps walking. He just keeps going down the road until he gets to the house, until he gets home, until he gets inside, and he walks in the door, and these blind men follow him in. They had to have help, didn't they? We all need help getting to Jesus. We're all blind men. Walking around in the darkness of our own sin, 
And if we don't have somebody to come and grab us by the hand and bring us to Jesus, we'll never get there. I told you a few weeks ago, every one of these miracles has somebody bringing them to Jesus. Jerry is taking Jesus to his daughter. Those men lowering their friend down in front of Jesus. It's over and over and over. We are blind. We are helpless. We are lame. We are sick. We are dead. And if we don't have help getting to Jesus from somebody somewhere, we'll never get to Jesus on our own. So somebody leads them to the house, opens up the door, and there stands Jesus in private, and he asks that question that we're asking here today. Do you believe this or not? That's where I got the title of the sermon, Believe. Look what it says in verse 28. And Jesus says unto them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Understand this. Do you believe that I can cure your blindness? And what he's asking is, understand what I'm saying, They understood, we understand, only God can cure blindness. Man can do a lot of things. Free dive 830 feet. Lift 6,270 pounds. But man can't cure blindness. So when Jesus looks at these blind men and he says, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I have the power to do this? Do you believe that I have the capability to do what no man has ever been able to do and never will be able to do? Do you believe that I can do this? And it says that, this. Do you see that there? This. Do you believe that I can do this? Because this is important. Only God can do this. They're not asking Him to cook dinner. Do you believe that I can make a grilled cheese? No. Do you believe that I can cure blindness? Only God cures blindness. So they're asking, he's asking them, do you believe that I am God? Not just David's son, and I love this, but David's Lord. And what do they say? Same thing I'm asking you guys. Do you believe this? And they look at him and they say, Yes, Lord. In the Greek, it's the word kurios. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if we confess with our mouths that God hath raised him from the dead and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That Jesus is Lord. The same thing that every tongue must confess and every tongue will eventually confess. That Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You'll either confess it here in faith or you'll confess it in eternity in rebellion. Forced to do it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. Jesus is the one that tells me what to do. We bow the knee not to Caesar but to Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the same thing that got multitudes of Christians killed at that time. They would go into the baptism waters and they would cry out in front of everybody that could hear them. Open confession, public profession. Jesus is my Lord. Not Caesar. Not anybody else. Not any fake, false gods, little G. Jesus is my Lord. And I do what He tells me to do. This is the cry This is the confession of true saving faith. 
Jesus is Lord. If you have truth saving faith, you confess this truth. Jesus is curios, my Lord. And I am his doulos, his slave. And I do whatever he tells me to do. When Paul was knocked off his high horse, get this, this is so good. When he was knocked off his high horse and he thought he could see everything, Jesus blinded him to show him that he saw nothing. And he knocked him off his high horse and when he looked up and he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, Lord, Lord. And then Jesus, verse 29, he touched their eyes. <laughs> this is so good. I mean, every one of these miracles, do you see that over and over? Jesus touching, Jesus touching, Jesus touching. Jesus was a very touchy person. And you can see it over and over that, that Jesus, in Mark 7, I like this one, that when, when they came to him asking for help, Jesus took his fingers and stuck them in their ears. He's like, all right, wet willy time. <laughs> and then another instance, Jesus spits and touches their tongue. All right. He spits on his hand and puts his fingers on their tongue. And Jesus has touched the dead body. He's touched the leper. He touched the woman with the issue of blood. Over and over and over, Jesus is very touchy. And, and the Jews were not touchy. They were like us. Americans don't like to be touched at all. I, I, you walk up to people and hug them and they're like, you're going to get germs on me, you know. Stay away. Why are you doing that? That's the way the Jews were. Everything was two categories. You were either clean or unclean, and they were scared to death that somebody that was unclean would touch them. So they walked around. They didn't have hand sanitizer. They had pockets, and they, they'd walk around scared to death of everybody and everything. They didn't touch nobody, and Jesus shows up, and he starts touching everybody. Everywhere he goes, he's touching. He's, he's holding. He's, he's wrapping arms around. He's embracing. Paul, he, Paul even says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Can you imagine if you guys walked in the church doors this morning and I said, pucker up, guys. <laughs> That's not how to grow a church right there, you know. <laughs> you don't want to be known as a kissing preacher. That, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm just saying, Paul said so, you know, here we go, you know. <laughs> he touched the leper, he touched the woman with blood, he touched the dead, and he's touching here. Understand this. You say, why is he doing that? He's touching people that have never been touched before. Sometimes the one thing people need is a loving embrace. Sometimes it's the very thing my kids need. Sometimes they need a stern hand. Christian, don't do that. I say that a lot. Just do that. Isaiah, Gracie, get off your phone. <laughs> Emma, quit being so sweet. <laughs> but sometimes more than they need this. They need this. And sometimes in a church, more than you need this from me, and you get that a lot, I understand. Toe-stepping, hellfire preaching, mm, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God type stuff. Sometimes you just need this. 
Sometimes you just need a hand on your shoulder or a hand around your shoulder. Sometimes you need a hug. I know you're sitting there thinking, sometimes we never need a kiss, Josh. Never need that. But sometimes you need the touch of encouragement, the touch of I'm with you, the pat on the back that says it'll be okay, the hug at a funeral, the hug at a wedding, the hug when there's a brand new baby sitting there, the hug when you're sick. Sometimes we need the touch. And Jesus was always willing to give the touch to the ones who had never been touched before. The woman with the issue of blood hadn't been touched in years, 12 years. People walk around, no. The leper, no. The dead body, don't stay away. And Jesus walks into each of those scenarios and he touches them. Jesus could have, I want to, I want to sit here just for a second. Jesus could have proven he was God in a multitude of ways. He could have showed up and with crowds all around him, took off flying through the sky. Could he not? Yeah. He could have looked at a dog and said, talk. <laughs> and he'd start talking. And everybody's going to say, hey, oh, he's God. I mean, he could have done all kinds of things. I mean, just you, you name it. He, he, could have, he could have done multitudes of things, and everybody would say, He's God, He's God. But what did He do? How did He prove that He was God? By doing miracles for the lowest of the low and by touching people. You say, Why did He do that? Because He's not just God, He's a God who cares. So He touches. These blind men, and he says, According to your faith, be it unto you. Your faith has healed you. Let me take it a step further. Your faith has saved you. Anybody and everybody who will ever be saved is saved according to their faith. It's not according to your, get this, look down at this passage. Your Bible doesn't say, and my Bible doesn't say, according to your works, be it unto you. According to your goodness, be it unto you. According to whatever it is, it's not there. There's only one way that any of us will ever be saved, and it's according to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe in Him in order to be saved. You must have, and this is what faith is, it's just uplifted arms begging for mercy, crying unto Jesus, Yea, Lord, I believe. And those arms receive the mercy of God. Those arms receive the forgiveness of God. Those arms receive the, the, the love of God. It's the uplifting arms of faith that says, yes, Lord, I believe. That's the only way anyone will ever be saved by faith. It's the only way anyone has ever been saved by faith. Go to the Old Testament, saved by faith. Go to the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith. Noah, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, by faith. And anybody in this room who will ever be saved, it'll be by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way. There's no other way to be right with God but by faith in Jesus. And when that happens, it says, and their eyes were opened. 
They were enlightened. They were illumined. They could see. And they laid eyes on Jesus. According to their faith, they were saved. Let me move to the next one. I've showed you the condition, which was blindness, the cry, which was for mercy, the confession, which was Jesus is Lord, and now the care to see other people saved too. Watch, watch with me. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus, look what it says, commands them. He straightly charges them. This is the only place in the, in the, the Gospels I see straightly charged. That, that word straightly means he strictly charged them. He uh, scoldingly charged them. It's, it's a fierce command. Don't you say a word about this. Don't you tell anyone what just happened to you. Don't you go post this on Facebook. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Don't open your mouths. Zip it. Don't tell anybody. You say, why? Why doesn't he want anybody to know? There's two reasons why. Number one, he doesn't want fake followers. People that are just following him for the miracles, the healings, and all the other things that he has to offer. Jesus was never about the superficial crowd. There's people like that today who just follow Jesus for the miracles that he can offer. That's like marrying somebody for the money. When the money runs out, you divorce and go find somebody else that has the money. And you go to Jesus just for the miracles. When the miracles stop, you still love Jesus and follow Jesus? No, you go to the next deity that you can find that will offer you what you want. You're in it for yourself. You're not in it for, the, for, the, uh, for love or for uh, faith in Christ. So he doesn't want superficial followers. And he also doesn't want the opposition yet because as soon as they go out and start crying, Jesus is king, he's going to have opposition that's going to try to kill him. Get this, before the resurrection, he said over and over and over, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And then after the resurrection, he says, tell everybody, tell everybody, tell everybody. He wants to be known not as healer, but as savior. And look what they do. <laughs> He says, straightly charging them, see that no man knows about this. And in verse 31, and when they were departed, they told everybody. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a disobedience. They, when they departed, they spread abroad his fame. His fame, you know that? They didn't go and tell anybody about themselves. They went and talked about Jesus. And they spread it into all the country. And not just that they went into all the country, they, they went evangelizing, because look what they did in verse 32. And as they went out, behold, here's a twist in the story, they went and got one of their friends. They went and got the first friend that they could find, because these lowly, bottom-of-the-barrel type people always hung out together. If you had a blind man over here and a dumb man over here, you made almost a complete man. What they couldn't see, he could see. And what he couldn't say, they could say. So they all hung out together. So they walked out of the house, and they said, we got a friend over here. We can see him now. Let's go get him, bring him to Jesus, and Jesus will save this guy too. And that's the same thing with saving faith. Once we're saved, we want to go out and find the closest friend that we can find. We know he is in a bad condition. He is in his sin. He needs forgiveness. I can see it now. He needs to see it now. Let's bring that guy to Jesus. That's how you evangelize. Go get those closest to you and bring them to Jesus. You see what they do? They go get a dumb man. <laughs> I like the word dumb man. You say, what does dumb mean? 
This guy had vocal cords, but they, and they worked, but he couldn't hear. Another common ailment of the time. They couldn't hear. So they couldn't say the words. They couldn't mouth them out. So they can't hear. They can't speak. Get this. He's deaf. He's dumb. He's demon-possessed. Could that guy get in a worse situation? Dumb, deaf, and demon-possessed. And these two blind men go out and say, this is who we're bringing to Jesus. Look what it says. And behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, we don't have much story here. It's not about the dumb man. It's about them bringing the dumb man to Jesus. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb man spoke. That's, that's as simple as it gets right there, isn't it? I mean, this is an amazing thing. Jesus casts out the demon. The guy's healed. He's saved. And he speaks. Not a year or two of therapy. If you had never spoken a word in your life, and all of a sudden you had the ability, you'd have to go to a therapist and, and learn the words, learn the language. It would take you forever to learn how to talk. You've never heard a word in your life, and now you're going to be able to say things? It's still going to be just gibberish coming out of your mouth until you learn how to talk. This guy came out healed, and he's having conversations with people. He's sitting there, and I thought about this. This, is, this would be amazing. When he walks out, you say, what's he talking? He's not talking English. When he walks out of that house and he starts talking to people, what's the language of the day? He's going to be talking. Think about this. Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. It's a miracle to learn those in seminary. <laughs> this guy knows them as soon as he walks out of the house. That's a miracle. And what's the very first thing he says? It doesn't say but I like to think about it. I bet it had something to do with Jesus. And watch this. I'm going to give you one more. I showed you the condition, which was blindness. And the Bible says we're all blind in our sin. The cry was for mercy. The confession was Jesus is Lord. The care was for their lost friends. And now the crowd, the crowd was amazed. Look what it says. And the multitudes marveled, saying, they marveled. They were amazed beyond amazement. Their, their breath was taken away. As they're standing outside the house waiting for Jesus and waiting for these guys to come out, all of a sudden, out of the blue, out of nowhere, behold, there comes two blind men and their eyes are open and they can see everything. I mean, they're seeing things they hadn't seen before. Look at the sky. Look at the clouds. Look at the sun. Look at them. I mean, they're all over the place. And, and then the, the, the dumb man walks out, and he is hearing everything that's being said, and he's talking as clear as a bell. And the crowd sees this, and they say, Wow. They're amazed at what Jesus has done. Their breath is taken away. And they say, We've never seen Anything like this before. Not in all of Israel have we ever seen anything like this. Now think about what they've had in Israel. I just want to go through just a couple of these things. They had seen Moses and the plagues upon Egypt. That's amazing. But that was nothing compared to what Jesus has done here. They had seen Moses stand before the Red Sea with a staff like this and the water just parts. That's amazing. Nothing like this. 
They had seen Moses on Mount Sinai. Now that was a show. When Moses went to Mount Sinai, there was earthquake and thundering and lightning. You'd look up on that mountain and it was like a movie, just, just going crazy up there. People were afraid to touch the, the, the mountain that they might die. Moses would come down with a hair as white as wool. They were scared of all that was going on there. But they had never seen anything like this. The greatest display of power in the history of Israel, in the history of the world, in the history of mankind. We've never seen any kind of power like this. It was unparalleled. It was unequaled power. And it made it perfectly clear to them and to us. Jesus is God. It's so clear that two blind men and a, and, a, and a dumb man saw it. I don't have time to take you there, but I'm going to. Matthew 11. It's just a page over. I'll read this to you and we'll move on to point number two. Verse two. John the Baptist is, is in prison getting ready to get his head cut off, and he had moments of doubt. It says, and now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and which you do see. Pay attention. Now look at this next verse. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. If John wants to know who I am, you tell him these things are happening, and that is definitive proof of who I am. Jesus is God. This shows us true faith, and you need to have that in your life if you have that faith. Understanding your condition is blind, your cries for mercy, your confession is Jesus is Lord, the care for those who are outside uh, without Christ. And I'll say this, a crowd that says, wow, look what Jesus has done in their lives. It's so clear a blind man could see it. Now the second point, and I know you guys think we're going to be here all day, and we probably are. Not everybody believes it. And here is the not. We saw the belief, now we see the not. We saw the, the belief of the blind men. I want to show you point number two. The unbelief of the seeing men. Because these guys had perfect 20-20 vision, but they were blind as a bat. You say, what does that mean? Look with me. Verse 34. But the Pharisees said, Here's the unbelieving response. Here's what unbelief looks like. Verse 34, look at their reaction. But the Pharisees said, see, they, they saw these miracles with their own eyes. They saw it with, with 20-20 vision, and they can't deny that these miracles have taken place. There's a blind man. There's that, that blind man used to, that, that seeing man used to be blind. That deaf man, he, he, he can hear now. That, that girl used to be dead. That, that guy used to have leprosy. She used to have a blood disorder. There's all these people walking around. They can't deny what's happened. So they must explain it away. We have to come up with an explanation for this. 
We, we got to tell everybody that, so that he's not God. So what is it? It's like science today that tries to explain everything away. It can't be real. Let's come up with an explanation. I got it. Big bang. <laughs> it has to be. How do you know? I don't know. We're just going to come up with it. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's teach it. <laughs> and they've taught it in schools. Why? Because they must deny creation somehow. And that's the only explanation they can come up with. Now watch this. What's the explanation they come up with? And it's just as dumb. <laughs> I'm using a word from the Bible. <laughs> as the Big Bang Theory. Theory. Look what it says. And the Pharisees, here's their explanation. He is doing this, these miracles, casting out devils through the prince of the devils. Their explanation is, his power is from Satan. Their explanation is, and this isn't one time, this is their conclusion. This is what they're telling everybody. He is not on our side, so he must be on Satan's side. He's getting his power from the, the, the power of darkness. He's on the same team as, he's on the same side as, this must be Satan. That's what it has to be. It can't be God, so it must be Satan. So that's what they say. It, this is the ultimate blasphemy. It, it's a foolish response. What more could be done to prove to these guys that it's God and not the devil? What is wrong with these guys? Watch this. I'm closing. Watch this. Why? How in the world could that be their conclusion? Isn't it obvious to everybody in this room? That what Jesus has done is from God. Nobody comes to the conclusion that it's from Satan. Unless you're spiritually blind. And that's what they were. They were spiritually blind. Spiritually they couldn't see the reality of who Jesus was. Spiritually they couldn't see their own self. They couldn't see their own sin. They couldn't see their own Savior. They couldn't see the truth. They thought they were right. They thought they were mature. But in reality they were blind as a bat. They were more blind than those guys were that, that had just been healed. They couldn't see any spiritual reality. There's nobody and nothing more blind than a religious Pharisee. Watch this. And when you're spiritually blind and you can't see spiritual truth, you're going to be spiritually dumb. People that are deaf and can't hear, when the, and I'm not being mean, but when they try to talk, it often comes out as, as gibberish, foolishness. And when you're spiritually blind and you can't see, and you're spiritually deaf and you can't hear, what comes out of your mouth is going to be, for lack of better words, dumb. And what they say about Jesus is the dumbest thing you'll ever hear. They say, and they said several things about Jesus. They've said in verse, uh, verse 3 that he was a blasphemer. They said in verse 11 that he was a sinner. And now they're saying that he is in cohorts or, or he's teamed up with Satan himself. How dumb is that? They're not only more blind than the blind men, they're more dumb than the dumb men. How how dumb. Would the devil heal a leper? Just think about it. No. Would the devil forgive sin? No. Would the devil raise the dead? No. 
Would the devil heal blind people? No. How dumb does it get? They're so blind and so deaf that they're saying some of the dumbest things that you could ever imagine. You mean to apply this to you? Those who are the blind spiritually and the deaf spiritually often say some of the dumbest spiritual things you'll ever hear. All religions are the same. (laughs) I don't mean to be mean. That's dumb. I'm a good person. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing. (laughs) The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. I mean, just, I, the Big Bang Theory is plausible. <laughs> no, it's not. I have testimony from the one who created it, what happened at creation. I, I don't want to hear, and I'm using the Bible word, your dumb take on where we all came from. Jesus was all loving and he would never send anyone to hell. You're spiritually blind, you're spiritually deaf, and you're saying some of the most spiritually dumb things I've ever heard in my life. Never listen to a spiritually dumb person. These guys were spiritually blind, they were spiritually deaf, and they were spiritually dumb. And that's the cause of their unbelief. I'm going to take you to another place. I've got four minutes, and I want to take you to Matthew 22. This is the final, really the final battle between Jesus and these Pharisees. And I want to show you what Jesus says about them. This isn't Josh saying these things. In verse 41, look what he says. I'm going to read the whole chapter. In chapter 22, verse 41, And while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Do you believe in Jesus or not? That's what he's asking. He's giving them a final chance. And they say unto him, The son of David. And he said unto them, How then doth David? You see, that is going to the same thing. In spirit, call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make mine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he also his son? I don't have time to get into that. But he's saying the same things that we've been saying. Jesus is Lord. And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. And watch what Jesus says. He goes on a, torrent here of woe unto you Pharisees. Woe unto you Pharisees. And look what he calls them. Verse 13, but woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 14, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 15, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Woe unto you. Verse 16, ye blind gods. Verse 17, ye fools and blind. You know what fools is? Saying some of the dumbest things you could ever say. You've, I'm not saying it. He is. You fools and blind. Verse, verse 19, you fools and blind. He just goes on and on and on. Just, just hitting them over and over. Some of the harshest words that Jesus had in all of Scripture are for those who have seen the most and still refuse to believe. And they are a picture of all unbelievers. All unbelievers. 
They're in the dark. They're blind to it. How many times have you tried to share the gospel with somebody? Talk about Jesus? Point people to creation? I've done it before. I say, people that don't believe in God, look around. How can you deny that God put the sun in the sky and the stars in their place? I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, so eloquent in the way I'm pointing out creation to them. I may be standing in the Waffle House parking lot sitting there just saying, look here and look there, look. And and like, just all showed up one day with a bang. (laughs) Why can't they see that? Because they are spiritually blind. I have had my Bible open pointing people. to This is what the Bible says about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And he's died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says you must believe in him in order to be saved and to have your sins forgiven. And I'll point them to it. Here it is in black and white. Here it is right in front of your face. And they're sitting there. Ah, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And I want to sit there and say, why don't you see it? It's like describing the sun to a blind man. They can't see it unless their eyes are open to it. And that's the way the unbelieving world is. They are blind to the reality of spiritual truth. But the good news is, the unbelieving world is walking around in the dark with blind eyes. But the the good news is, The gospel will, watch this, and I'm closing. The gospel will make the spiritually lame walk. The gospel will take the unclean and make them clean. The gospel has the power to make the unrighteous righteous, to make the spiritually blind, to be spiritually seeing, to make those who are spiritually dead alive, and to make those who are spiritually dumb able to speak. The, The work of the gospel is the most miraculous power in our world. And if we want to see our friends and our family with their eyes open and their ears hearing and their mouths speaking of the glory of Jesus Christ, their only hope is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears, to raise dead, spiritually dead hearts. The power of the gospel. So let me ask you this today. What Jesus asked in verse 28. Do you believe this? The evidence is clear. It's irrefutable and it's undeniable. There's no doubt about it in anybody's eyes or anybody's mind that Jesus has done these things and he's proven to us that he cares and that he is God. He is the son of the living God. We know that. We we believe that. Do you believe that? And I want to go there. Do you believe this? Do you believe this truth about Jesus? Do you believe that? There's only two people, types of people in the world, those who believe that and those who don't believe that. Which side are you on? Don't stand in the middle. Don't straddle the fence. Today, you pick a side. You're going to believe in Jesus or you're not. Which side are you on? I urge you today, I plead with you today to cry out to Him today and beg for mercy. And I... I guarantee you, the most merciful man who ever lived will show you mercy. Pick a side today. Do you believe or not? And let me take it one one step further to those who are Christians here today. I don't know what you're going through or what you're facing. But you can take that, do you believe I'm able to do this? 
and you can fill in the blank with that this. Do you believe that Jesus is able to take care of you financially? Do you believe that he's able to meet your every need? Do you believe that he's able to save your marriage? Do you believe he's able to save your kids? Do you believe he's able? Do you believe he's able to take care of your your unhealthy body, your diseased body, whatever it is you're facing today? Do you believe that he's able? You're asking that question. Do you believe? Do you believe or do you not believe? And And we must all be here today saying, Yay, Lord, I believe in you. I believe. So as we give the invitation today, and as the music plays and the altar's open, I, I, I urge you today, if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, do it today. And if there's something in your life that, that you're, you're struggling with, you're battling against, do you believe He's able to handle that too? If He can handle your soul and save you out of the pits of hell and your sin, He can, he can help you in whatever situation you're in. If He can raise the dead and make the lame to walk and heal the leper and do all these things that He did, you know He has power to help you with whatever it is you're going through. Do you believe that? Let's be a group of believers today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and how You've made it so clear, laid it out so perfect. And I pray that You would use it by the power of Your Spirit to go out and to work into hearts today. If there's one here today who's lost, There's no power in my words, there's no power in my persuasion, but there is power in your word to convert them today. I pray you'd show them their condition, I pray they would cry out, and I pray that today they would make a confession that Jesus is their Lord. Please work in hearts today in a way that only, only you can, and we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As the music plays, the altar's open. Darkest day, Christ.